Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of Plant Services Tool Belt Podcast. Today, we welcome engineer, executive, and author Ashley Walters to the podcast. Ashley earned a chemical engineering degree from Auburn University, and several years later, she found herself taking on the challenge of reviving Onyx, the 50-year-old industrial furnace service business based in Erie, Pennsylvania, and which was owned by her husband's family. I met Ashley about a month ago at the MarkCon conference. It's run by UT Knoxville's Reliability and Maintainability Center, where she shared her story. And one of the exciting things about her story is that she is dedicated to sharing it uh, as much as she can when people ask. Um, after she succeeded at her at Onyx, she wrote a book about the experience called Leading with Grit and Grace. And that book recounts her journey and the lessons she learned along the way. Ashley, welcome to the Plant Service Toolbelt podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Well, wow. and we're both excited that you're here. Today, It's uh, you're talking to both Anna Townsend, Managing Editor for Plant Services, and myself. Um, let's start with the basic question. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and career path, starting with your training as an engineer and then how you made the move up to Erie? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you said, I am a chemical engineer from Auburn University, um, but what's a little bit different is my background is pulp and paper and the focus that I had. Uh, was pulp and paper. So my father and his father uh, worked at a paper mill um, locally in my small town in Tennessee called Bowwater Southern at the time. And I always tell people I was hooked from day one after that plant tour, right? You just go from like an office setting where it's pretty quiet through these double swinging doors and all of a sudden it's loud and it's like lights are flashing and things are flying by. And I said, I just like manufacturing has been in my blood ever since. Um, so unfortunately I never ended up working in the pulp and paper industry because 9-11 had just happened my senior year. I'm dating myself now. And, uh, but nuclear power had kind of forgotten to hire, uh, ever since they built the plants. Right. And so they were kind of in this situation where they're like, oh no, we have people retiring, but we haven't hired in the last 20 years. So I actually started out in nuclear power. And then Onyx, the family company, unexpectedly lost their technical salesperson. He passed away unexpectedly. And so I was able to get the job of technical sales for pulp and paper uh, for the family business. And then um, Drew and I had two babies and the first one came early. He was six weeks early. And so he spent some time in the NICU and he couldn't um, be in a daycare situation. So I went from what I thought was going to be a working mom to a stay at home mom literally overnight. Um, and then one day in 2013, the boys were two and three years old and my father-in-law called and he said, hey, he said, the CFO has left the company. Um, I just generally need you to lead and take a look at the financials for me. Um, the family and I were living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time in the manufacturing was in Erie, Pennsylvania. So it was quite an undertaking um, to start in that GM role from miles and miles apart, you know, from the plant. So we did eventually move uh, to Erie. But, yeah, that was my journey. That's <laughs> a huge journey, especially with little ones. My goodness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was quite the challenge with those two year old and three year old, you know, and, and we moved away from our family. It was our support network to be able to help with the family business. Well, in the detail about your family being in pulp and paper, that was one that I had I had forgotten since we last talked to each other in, yeah. in Tennessee. In your book, you you lead with a piece of advice from your father, which I found really fascinating, and I, I'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of our listeners today. And he always said to ask the people on the front lines doing the actual work, 
when it comes to solving problems because they probably know the answer, but they either they seldom or never have been asked. Uh, it, it sounded like that really grounded you when you got to Onyx and started the process of sort of re- rebuilding and remanaging the company. Yeah, Tom, I have used that piece of advice all throughout my career. Even when I was interning, um, you know, I would go and sit with the operators and just ask curious questions. And so that's exactly what I did when I got to Onyx. I mean, I definitely had that panic moment of I don't know what's going on. I haven't been up here, you know, in the corporate offices. I don't know how all the business functions. And uh, so I just started asking those curious questions, the people closest to the work. And I, I would say, you know, what takes up most of your time? what kind of annoys you, what bugs you. And when they would tell me, I'd say, okay, let's work to fix that. And so that's how we really started rebuilding that relationship. Um, If you've ever been in a relationship where somebody's broken your trust, you know how hard it is to repair it, if it can ever be repaired. And I knew that I had 50 families depending upon me to get this right. And I didn't know, and I didn't necessarily have all the, the, you know, the schooling or the tools or the skills to do it. And I needed their help. So I was just really humble about it and said, you know, basically, if you can help me, I'll help you. Right. Right. Now, there's a lot of powerful ones like that in the book where you you sort of learn on the fly and you immediately apply what works. I know Anna's got some questions about some more of those changes. Yeah. yeah well, I like how you talked about how you know, trust and rapport can only be built with honest conversation. And it, it's so hard to be honest sometimes. And it just takes a big culture behind that. Um, but I also really liked sort of the thoughts you had and how you organize the, your process for annual employee reviews. You know, generally none of us like that process, um, you know, on either side of it, I think managers or employees but for me, you really pinpointed what what I personally struggle with. And it's this whole idea of this subjective rating process and assigning numbers to the work that people do. It's it's not always the best measurement of success. So can you talk about, um, you know, how you reestablish that review process um, and sort of what's the best approach for that? Yeah, so I'll start out and tell you, Anna, that we didn't have a review process of any really kind in place. And one of our board members who had come from a larger corporation was like, you absolutely have to do this. And so we did implement, you know, this review process and we did the typical pick a goal at the top, cascade it through the company, make sure everybody's aligned. But what you'll find with those annual reviews is 2020 is the perfect example. Anything that I could have written in January was irrelevant by March, right? And so now you've just got kind of this chaos and mess and you spend all this time trying to rewrite goals or just stick into the ones that you had that now aren't, you know, they're irrelevant. So what happened to me was my board of directors gave me a one, one being the worst out of five. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know if you've noticed, but like I'm an overachiever. (laughs) The one doesn't set well with me at all on anything, unless it's getting to be number one. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, you know, what happened was he said, you know, you had, you didn't write a manufacturing plan, but I had moved the entire manufacturing plant across town in that year because we had realized how much um, overhead we were spending on the building that we were in. And, you know, we had just dramatically reduced the operating costs of the whole business. And it was like so successful and done and we didn't miss production and, you know, all these things, but I didn't write a plan. I just implemented it. And so that's why I got dinged. And um, another gentleman told me a story like these 
uh, performance, these annual reviews are very powerful. Anytime I talk about them, everybody's like, yes, please get rid of them. Um, one gentleman told me, he said, I got a one because I was in sales and I crushed my sales goals. And his um, leader was like, well, you already get paid on commission. So I'm going to give you a one. So I don't have to give you any of the pool of money that I have so that I can spread it to other people. So yeah, and it just made him feel terrible. And he, you know, remembers that to this day. So I think a couple things. Number one, if you have to do performance appraisals, please don't tie them to money, right? Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. tie them to somebody's work. And because you get these tricky things like happen to him going on behind the scenes and it doesn't feel good. But it also doesn't feel good to rate somebody and it doesn't feel good to be rated. And even no matter how much training you will do, I can tell you right now, if you ask me to do performance reviews for people, you're getting a three. Like if you did your job and you did it well, you're getting a three. But then others would come in. And if you did your job and you did it well, you're getting a five. Right. And there's just that subjectivity between people and that bias and rating um, that it just to me, it doesn't feel good. And it's a rear view look. Like what I did in March, I cannot change by December when I'm being reviewed, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, it was more about, okay, how can we look forward? So everything we're trying to do as a company is about continuously improving. And that performance review process didn't help us continuously improve, in my opinion. So we just took more of a coach approach. And we said, hey, we're going to talk about like if somebody does something that annoys us, a behavior that's bad, like let's talk about in the moment in which it's happening and get it stopped. You know, we're not going to sweep it under the rug. We're not going to put it in a file from March and talk about it again in December and open up old wounds. You know, we're just going to address it and move on. And that coach approach has been great. The other thing I did was I got rid of all those cascading goals (laughs) and I had one wildly important goal. And so I set one wildly important goal for the organization. And I know it like people are going to think, how can you do that? There's so many things to do. But what it was, was, you know, we're a small company. We had to focus on one thing that we could do that was really going to change the trajectory of the company. And when we did that, we actually accomplished the goal. But when we had too many goals, we actually did none of them or at least none of them. Well, right. Right. Um, so it just. But, you know, it truly is thinking differently because we were all brought up on performance reviews and do them annually and cascade those goals. Right. Yeah. Well, and did that wildly important goal um, tie back into the mission statement that you eventually ended up setting for the company, which was make things better? Right. Yeah. So I think everything that we did tied back into that make things better. And it took us a long time to even get to that mission statement. Right. Like we had the one that's like high quality, you know, all for our customers, like safety first, you know, the standard one that you hear from most companies. And but none of that really ignites a fire in anybody. And so when we finally thought, like, wh- who are we really as a company? We had this continuous improvement mindset. We were using it not only within our own facilities, but we we're using it because we were a service provider, too, for these industrial furnaces, right? So we're going into, most of the time, we're in somebody else's plant. And I said to my personnel, I was like, hey, like, if you keep repairing the same thing over and over and over again, like, stop. Like, let's look at this. Get somebody else involved. Let's think of a better way. Because we want to keep those manufacturers in business because they're so important to our small town. You know, our communities are built 
on these um, businesses being there. So we want to make sure they're competitive too. Right. Well, if I could follow up on a, something you mentioned previously, the coach approach to management, that was something that was, which stuck out to me throughout the book. It's a theme that runs through. Um, and in the book, you're skeptical of what you refer to as command and control leadership, preferring either the coach approach or co- that, com- that combined with servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Now, the problems you were facing at Onyx included siloed business units, uh, a lack of trust between teams. You mentioned that people felt they had been betrayed to a certain degree by previous managers. Could you talk about the way the coach approach and servant leadership helped you achieve the goals you wanted to achieve at Onyx? Yeah, so I think, you know, servant leadership is not something that we're, we hear as much in manufacturing, right? It's definitely command and control. And that is rooted in the history of just the industrial revolution and but now we have so much that we have as business leaders, we have to be agile. And I cannot simply think of every task that I need everyone to do and communicate that to them. I have to empower them and engage them in a way that they are making those decisions that they can in their space um, with the guideline of is is it is it a part of our mission and is it within our core values? You know, to me, that's kind of your your map. Um, and letting those them have autonomy to make those decisions like quickly that they know that they can make, that they know will make things better. And I may I may never even know that they've made that decision and just move forward, right? But yeah. when you can have that, when you can release that control, then your company is able to grow more. You'll see, like in the found, like a lot of times founders can't release that control they have it is their baby that company is their baby they have grown it up and they but they can't the company can't grow if people can't have the autonomy to make those decisions i think the other piece of that is we've never thought as leaders that we should be serving we've always felt like we should be served right and when you flip that around and you start serving others they do serve you they serve you more right because they respect you and they trust you because it's a two-way street, respect and trust. And um, when they feel that, they they know it's okay to like make a mistake, right? They You can't ask somebody to try something new to experiment and not allow for failure. I mean, think about all the experiments you've done in your life, right? Most of them were likely unsuccessful. But what you need is for people to learn and grow and and they want to be on that journey. It feels really good to accomplish a goal that you've set for yourself, right? It feels better to accomplish a goal you set for yourself than one that somebody set for you that doesn't feel like your own goal, right? So when you can allow people's um, autonomy and their own work to make some of these decisions, the whole organization just feels better. I love your line that says, do not impede them with nonsense restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> I copy that out. HR, I'm to put a post-it there. <laughs> the HR manuals are out there with like crazy restrictions in them, right? Because one person did one thing one time. Now it's a rule for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I I love this idea of servant leadership. And I, I just think so many managers would just be turned off by the very idea of it. Because if you said they've work their way up the ladder so that they're in charge. And um, like Tom, I got to point to a few things from your book that I just thought were really great. And instead of that, you say, you know, servant leadership is about, you know, helping others to grow. And one of the most important aspects 
is to listen closely to the answers to the questions you ask. And I just thought that was so profound. Um, I think it's good parenting advice, too. You're obviously a mom. Um, but I, I think that's all great. And where I want to turn the conversation then to is something else you mentioned in terms of failure. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase you again here a little bit, but you said failure should be seen as not trying rather than trying something and being unsuccessful. Um, again, super profound, I think. Um, but why do you think it is important to leave room, room for failure and how does freedom from failure lead to success? Yeah, if you think about it, like, okay, so we've done this command and control thing to everybody and we've told them every decision to make, and now they can't problem solve from themselves, likely, right? You've spent years of not allowing them to problem solve. So very first thing is you have to create that psychological safety to where you say, it's okay. I know that you're going to have failures, but this is how you're going to learn. You know, it's you learn by doing. And so when you create that psychological safety for them then and 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 with every approach right you have to be the same like my team now will come to me and I, they already know the questions I'm going to ask okay like how did we get here what have we done what have we tried what what do you think we're going to like what would you like to try next you know and but you can't you know you can't be having that day where everything's crazy and then you just say I'm just going to handle it for you today Right. Because that shuts them down from trying ever again. Um, and that was something I had to learn early on in my career is like my one of my production managers, she came to me and she said, Ashley, like, we don't need you to solve every problem for us. We actually want to give it a go ourselves. We're just communicating with you now that we have this issue and we're working through it and we'll come and get you if we need. And I think that was a huge like growing spot for us in the organization because early on I was having to make those decisions and I was having to make them pretty quickly. But as I grew the people, then they were ready uh, to take over and make those decisions themselves. Well, maybe we can close with a question looking forward. Uh, what's your current or next challenge on the horizon? Are, are you still advising Onyx or are you pursuing some different things too? Yeah, so absolutely. I have five companies that I'm working for um, on their board of directors, Onyx being one of them. But Onyx is a little more special because we're going through the transition from my husband and I being the leaders uh, into our new you know, leaders and growing and developing them, too. So I'm a little mm -hmm. more engaged um, still at Onyx than I would be from a normal board perspective. Um, but one of my really super exciting things that I'm working on now is uh, the University of Tennessee, their Center for Industrial Services. Um, we're working together to form a peer group of manufacturers uh, in the local area in Knoxville. And so we'll be, uh, you know, launching that come August of this year. So just really excited to get involved in the local manufacturing community and, and with those leaders. Oh, that is really exciting. How cool. Yeah. So, well, Ashley, we appreciate you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking with Anna and myself about your experience. It's, it's super inspiring uh, to hear the changes that you implemented. And uh, for anybody who wants to get in touch with the person who doesn't believe in really firm employee reviews and who believes in servant leadership and empowering people, <laughs> yeah. uh, where can people where can people reach you? Yeah, so LinkedIn is uh, a really easy place to find me. Um, and then I also have a website. It's AshleyWalters.co. And there are some, uh, you know, individual kind of uh, exercises out there as well as exercises for your team that I found uh, really useful in my career. And so they're free uh, for you to hop out there and get. And you can shoot me an email anytime at hello at AshleyWalters.co. Well, Ashley, once again, thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your story with us and, and with yeah. Plant Services listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Loved it. Thanks, Ashley.